Welcome to the Abortion Recovery Network podcast. We are group leaders helping group leaders with abortion recovery ministry through informal and casual conversations. Your hosts are Linda Keener Thomas, founder and board chair of the National Memorial for the Unborn, and Mindy Lefeshore, founder of An Even Place Virtual Abortion Recovery Ministry. As I began An Even Place in January 2022, I wanted to talk with other abortion recovery ministry leaders to share the vision I had and learn whatever I could about abortion recovery ministry. As I talked with some amazing women who I now call friends, I was surprised to learn they were as eager as I was to hear from other leaders. An idea was birthed to start a podcast of leaders, by leaders, for leaders, from all over to share experiences, ideas, challenges, joys, and learn from one another while doing your laundry, cooking your dinner, or driving in your car. Linda and I met the fall of 2022. I shared this idea with her and she jumped on board. Our desire is to allow you to enter our conversations with other abortion recovery leaders, learn the nuts and bolts of how they lead their groups, and connect with one another to build a strong network of leaders helping leaders reach the millions suffering with an abortion experience. Well, in the beginning, it all started. Wait. I'm just teasing. I'm clearing my throat. <laughs> this is fun. This is a new dynamic for us, having husband and wife on. So this is going to be a little I'm fun. It. Yes. I, I don't normally have this stuff in my throat, so I don't know. It must have been my lunch or something. You made it made me feel froggy cool. here. Yeah. But yeah, uh, our names are Tim and Debbie Schultz. And... Our story begins, gosh, 1984 Yep, is when we first met. We were both just graduated out of high school. I did not know him until that point. We lived about 10 miles away from each other, but went to different high schools. I grew up in a Christian home and we went to church all the time. And pretty much every time the doors were open, we were there. And I remember rededicating my life to the Lord around the age of 12 at a youth camp. And from there, I really became a role model at my youth group and a leader, as well as with the sports that I was involved with. I was basically a tomboy my whole life. Anything to do with a ball, I was there. And uh, so we began... Um, well, I, all through high school, I played basketball, volleyball, and softball. And through all of those teams, I not knowingly became that role model to them as well as kind of the good girl and good student. And that's how people knew me. And I was proud of that. And that's the life that I lived and had very strong morals and, um, all of a sudden here comes riding the motorcycle rider, the pastor's son riding up <laughs> with long, straight hair. We met each other. I, I'm growing up 10 miles down the road, doing all the same things. And the Lord is prepping me and I'm athletic and winning accolades and she's doing this and up the road, 10 miles. We didn't know each other. And then we met on the softball field. She was actually keeping score. And then we both realized that we both made the same all-star basketball game that summer. And that's really where things started going, started, God started working his plan. 
I figured out what her dad's name was and I called every Roberts in the book until I found her, <laughs> which was kind of, they call that stalking today, probably. <laughs> but I knew, you know, I knew God had a plan. And so uh, that's where it began was that, that pursuit and that draw um, just was too much. <laughs> <laughs> We fell in love immediately, and we knew that we were meant to spend the rest of our lives together. We were engaged within nine months, and I was attending a junior college playing basketball. And that year, we went to the national tournament down in Mississippi, where Tim was living at the time. We were having a long-distance relationship, and he proposed to me there at the nationals tournament. <laughs> and hated that. <laughs> and so the summer be between my uh, sophomore and junior years of college, I got a full ride basketball scholarship to the University of Evansville in Indiana. And that summer, Tim was living in Mississippi, and I decided to move there for the summer so that we could have time together, uh, at least a few months together before I moved away. And so we really kind of set ourselves up for failure and away from all of our accountability family, friends, church, we didn't have any of that. And so it wasn't too long after I moved down there that I heard those fateful words at the time they were fateful, congratulations, you're pregnant. Mm -hmm. And I was devastated. A fear gripped me. I was like a deer in headlights. I was so afraid, mm -hmm. so afraid of what people would think about us so afraid of disappointing all of our families, our pastors, our youth group, our teammates, Everybody uh, just goes on and on, afraid to lose my scholarship. And so we didn't know what to do. And someone suggested abortion. And me being very naive, I really had no idea. But I just knew that this sounded like the way out. So nobody would have to know. Or be hurt. Yes. That's, that was our thinking. We don't have to hurt anyone else with this. We can keep it quiet and get through it. That's right. And by the grace of God, as crazy as it sounds, he did allow us to get through it as hard as it was. Yep. I went to uh, a hospital. I don't remember it at all, but Tim says it was a hospital. And that was in Jackson, Mississippi. And it was about an hour drive. And I just remember the drive home was excruciating pain. Every single little bump that yeah. we hit as he drove me home uh, was so painful. And I don't know. And I remember the false sense of security thinking, okay, we're at a hospital here. I can trust these guys. They're not going to hurt her. You know, we're here to get help, right? And that was the lie that I told myself, you know, and continue to tell myself to make it okay somehow. You know, the justification that we use for our sin is pretty amazing. And so from there, I healed physically and we never talked about it again. We, we didn't consciously say to each other, hey, let's never talk about this. We just didn't. We just... I stuffed it. He stuffed it. We just moved on, moved on and went to the University of Evansville 
and ended up graduating two years later. Um, but the prior year, let me back up a little bit. We did get married the next summer. Um, so that would have been a year after the abortion. 87. In 87, yeah. And so um, from that point, you know, just really pretending, wearing that mask, like everything is just fine. We were going to church. We were very involved. Um, again, with the, uh, the academics and the sports, and we just stayed busy. And that's one way that is coping for me is staying busy. If I can keep busy, then I don't have to stop and think about it. The man-pleasing spirit came right back. You know, that was part of the reason we didn't, we had the abortion too, is because we were that man-pleasing spirit, you know, we need to do what's right for everybody else to keep them from being hurt. And so then after we moved on, you know, we got right back into that. Let's stay busy. Let's minister, whatever it is, you know, because we knew how to do that. We were raised that way our whole life. And so that was, that was hard to, to see ourselves really falling back into that, but not knowing it at the time. We, after graduation, we moved back to Illinois, which is where we were originally from and where we met. And uh, the first pregnancy that we had within our marriage ended in miscarriage and gosh, all of that shame, the guilt, the condemnation that I had stuffed so far down came rushing back to the surface. And I believed the lies of the enemy that this is the punishment that we deserve, that God's mad at us. We uh, and even to the point where you'll never have children. Um, and so those lies, I just suffered in that silence and just believing that. And thinking back, it was like, I can't believe I believe that. But we were so vulnerable and so hurt, but couldn't that shame kept us silent. We couldn't reach out to anybody for help. Even after we started, you know, I had a come to Jesus moment. We were, we were married for 15 years. We did have, we had three children at that point. And, you know, just thanking the Lord and being thankful. And I was working at the, and just doing all the stuff, taking care of my family. But I was living like the devil. You know, I was taking them to family, church on the weekend, but then doing whatever I wanted through the week. And But I was always, a, I believe, a good dad and took care of things, you know. But I wasn't living for Jesus like I should. I, didn't, I wasn't leading people like I knew that I was supposed to. And then my come to Jesus moment was a great friend of mine who I worked with for a long time. He, he died in his sleep one night mm. and man, I'll tell you what, I mean, the way I was raised, I believe that, you know, people had died around me my whole life, but they were Christians. And I believe, you know, they just went to heaven, you know, God is good. But I knew this man's life. And I knew that unless he had a come to Jesus moment that night, you know, I, if I believe people are going to heaven, I got to believe that hell is real as well. And so it broke me. I mean, I wept like a little girl for a week. I just begged God, if you'll give me another chance, I'll do my best to lead people to you. I don't have to make them take giant steps. Even if I got to get them to crawl to you, as long as they're moving towards you, Jesus, I know it'll be okay. And I'll do my best. And I've tried to do that since then. And so as I got right with the Lord, she continues to seek more of God. You know, we're, we're learning more, we're growing more, but we're still not talking about our abortion. Every time I would get a little closer to the Lord, the devil would tap me on the shoulder and say, listen, man, don't become all that. I know your dirty little secret, right? That's what he does. And to men, especially, he just, that he beats you with that. Don't get 
too cocky. I know your secret, right? And until men, especially, and everyone decides, you know what? I don't care. I'm going to, I'm going to fall on the sword right now. And I'm going to take this in Jesus name. This is, I'm going to make, do what's right. And then when I decided to do that, she continued to seek out more. And she goes on a weekend retreat, and I'll let you tell that. <laughs> Backing up just a little bit, I would say that's probably the the biggest impact the abortion had in our lives was how it almost destroyed our marriage, yeah. our relationship. Hmm. Um, the trust was broken for me with him. I trusted him to protect me, and I felt like he didn't protect me. And so from that moment in 1986, when we had the abortion, that foundation of trust already had a crack in it. And after getting married and then adding children and that, that fracture just kept getting bigger, not smaller. And by the time, probably years around year six of our marriage, we were just coexisting in the same household. Mm -hmm. We weren't talking we weren't touching we were just parenting basically and I was trying to change him because I felt like he was the problem <laughs> and <laughs> that's when God spoke into my heart very clearly and said you are not the Holy Spirit I want you to love him and pray for him and when I did that when I let go of the reins and let God do what he needed to do. That's when he transformed Tim's heart. Yeah. But And what God was showing me was I needed to surrender myself to him and let him work in my life. And that leads us up to in 2002, I attended a women's encounter. Didn't have anything to do with abortion. And that's what we were doing. We were doing the triangle. God at the top. Her at one corner, me at the next corner. And as we both were seeking more of God, we were naturally drawing closer together. And that's his plan. Mm -hmm. At this encounter, uh, it was truly just a time for women to come together to grow deeper in the relationship with the Lord. And so at this encounter, God met me there so powerfully. And I gained such a deeper level of of insight and, and re receiving his love, how much God truly loves me. I knew he loved me. I knew it all my life, but at that moment, the, what he did on the cross, he did for me, for my sin. And so that was a huge opening for me. And that evening, as we were, uh, the ladies that were leading the encounter prayed over all of us they prayed over me against the spirit of heaviness and shame and guilt. And they knew nothing. Nobody there knew anything. It'd been a secret for Absolutely. 15 years. We hadn't told anybody, but God knew. And he put his finger on that exact point. And as they prayed over me, I started weeping and weeping. And I, I, I don't know how long I cried, but it was a long time. And I, afterwards, I felt like all of that toxic poison that had been locked up inside of me for 15 years came pouring out my tears. And I literally felt in that moment, freedom. Amen. Like I didn't know the heaviness was gone. The shame was gone. My mouth was unlocked, loosed. open, loosed. And I immediately wanted to tell everybody about what God had just done. So I knew something special had just happened.
And when she came home and telling me that, man, I knew something that totally happened because <laughs> I was associate pastor of a church at that time, four or 500 people. And the pastor, we told him what had happened. And he said, okay, I need you to stand up next week and tell this testimony. And, you know, we're believing, okay, by the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony, that's how we overcome. So we stood up the next week and we went from not talking about it to each other at all to telling God and everybody. And from the day one, when we've been obedient and said yes to that, that very first opportunity for people to come forward, the altar was full. Not wow. because of abortion, but whatever sin, whatever hook that the devil had in people, it gave them the opportunity to speak and come forward and realize that it's not the unforgivable sin. Whatever it was, it was bound, that had them bound. And I'll tell you what, it's a beautiful thing to pray with people and just encourage them and love on them that no matter what they've done, that Jesus loves them, man. He cares for them. And so we just really, that's our, that's what we do is we really trying to just start conversations with people to get them talking. You want to share about the unloving shame? Well, that Sunday, you know, that next Sunday when she stood up, you know, I'm standing in the back of the church and I'm watching her give this testimony for the first time and I'm weeping. And the Lord shows me her just unrobing the shame. Like a queen just dropping that big, it just gathered at her feet in a bunch and it was done. And it was powerful. And the Lord spoke to me and said, I want you to write a book. And that's the name, Unrobing the Shame. And that's what we did. And I'm just thankful to the Lord that he gave us that opportunity. And it's a tool to help people start conversation about whatever it is that the devil is using to keep them bound. And so we're, we're proud of that. Wonderful. That's wonderful. So how long was it from that point to what you're doing now? Good question. That was in 2002 in February. So it's been 21 years. Shortly after that, the Lord showed me a vision because I was like, okay, God, what do I do with this freedom now? And in this vision, he showed me a sea of women as far as I could see it literally just a sea of women. Yeah. And he spoke so gently into my heart and said, all of these women are hurting from the pain of abortion. And I want to use you to help them find healing. And so that is just like how, how cattle get a brand that's branded on my heart. That's our life mission. That's the motivation for everything that we do. That was my mandate as a, a man and her husband was to do whatever I had to do to get her out there to reach that sea of women. And in doing so, it will reach the men as well. So I understand what my role is. People ask, why aren't you doing more of this, that, and the other thing? Well, my role as from the Lord, I believe, is to make sure that that vision comes to fruition with everything that I have. So that's really our mandate on everything that we're doing. A few years after that, he led us to start a pregnancy center in our hometown, Springfield, Illinois. And uh, we'd never done anything like that before, <laughs> but we said yes. And so in 2007, we started that process and got it open in 2008 and also started leading abortion healing retreats in 2008. And that was 
had to be part of it because obviously of what the Lord had told me, I knew I needed to as well help women heal. And so I was the director there for about 12 years and, but was very limited on the healing portion because of my director duties. And so in um, 2018, the Lord led us to move to Tennessee to uh, move in with Tim's parents who were 90 at the time to take care of them. And so it took about a year for us to find a new director. And with that, then in 2020 is uh, the beginning, right before the pandemic hit, the Lord led us to start the ministry Embracing Grace After Abortion and focusing mostly entirely on abortion healing. Yeah. Wow. What a great story. I mean, I've never heard your story. This is exciting. And to get to hear it from both you and Tim at the same time. Thank you so much for sharing your story with me. I, I want to look at that sea of women just for one second, because um, I think your vision is beautiful. And um, it's kind of the same vision that God gave me, but in his word, he gave it to me. And when I read, I didn't think about it until you said sea of women, that that's exactly what I see every time I read this scripture. So I just want to read this scripture to you. You'll know part of it. It's very familiar. Um, Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you says the Lord thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I've driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you to the place from which I cause you to be carried away captive. And that's the verse 14 in particular is the verse that I, whenever I read it, I see just what you said, a sea of women, but I never really thought about what I saw in my head, you know? And so as soon as you said that, I'm like, that's that verse. And God gave that to me as a recalling, um, a couple of years ago before I got started. So he's doing a work. I mean, he's doing a work in all of us. And I think it's, it's the same thing is to bring these captives back because he hears the cries of the captives. Yes. And the other on the flip side of that once women and men start their healing journey continue that healing journey and and seek the lord and grow deeper in their relationship with the lord he's creating an army amen before i saw a sea of women that were just you know standing still yes but on the other side yes is the army that is rising up Yes. That are mobilizing. Yeah, mobilizing. Yes. That yes. are then going out. And I, I've said this for a long time in the pro-life movement. We've got to focus on healing so that we have more pro-life warriors. Amen. Yes. Yes. You know, when someone receives healing and then continues to walk on that journey, their desire is to is to serve in some way yes. as a thank you to God, yes. not as a way for healing, but as a thank you for their healing. Yes. And uh, so we need more workers. Okay. Let's get some more women and men healed yep. and see what God can do with that. Uh, That's what 
so important to get the message through to the church, man. They have to know that the numbers are the same in the church as outside the church. And when we start ministering to those people the way that we should, you'll never need another nursery worker. You'll never need another usher or a helper in the kitchen or to feed the hungry. They're hungry. It will fill your church with workers, people that want to please the Lord. And so we've got to start the conversation in church, too, and yes. make sure that people are understanding that, listen, man, we got a lot of work to do. And when we do it, there will be a reward for those who diligently seek after him. There's no that's doubt right. about it. That's what the word says. And I, I believe it. Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, I love it. Okay. So I want to kind of go back into your story just a little bit. And I want to talk about, um, or have you guys talk about how you, you mentioned that it almost destroyed your marriage and you just touched on that, but I'd like you to talk a little bit more to us about how abortion affects marriage. We, I had an abortion. My husband did not, did not know me before I had my abortion. Right. And so, uh, but it affected our marriage, but you two were together in this decision. So how did it affect your marriage? I would say because it was such a huge wedge, like think of a, a just a wedge. What does a wedge do? It separates and that abortion was a huge wedge in our relationship between us. And it just kept pushing us farther away. And as I mentioned, that trust factor was broken. And um, because the silence, because of the shame, because we never talked about it, it wasn't something that we were working through together on an ongoing basis. We never spoke about it again for 15 years. Not even a second, not even a word. Did we bring it up? Nothing. And that was the thing. It was the devil. When he can stop communication, then everything else is susceptible to just total collapse. And that's where we were. We weren't communicating. We were just talking about the chores that needed to be done and how we had to take care of the kids that day and the necessities that had to be taken care of so we could get to the next day. And that's basically how life was being lived. I mean, I was working. I was a good provider and doing the things I needed to do. But our relationship was just very casual and just, you know, it was not it was just wasn't there. It was just like she said, we were basically just renting a house together and raising kids. And but our, we still loved each other and we're taking care of one another. That was just, it was just harsh. The devil just continued to just keep us blind for a long time. And our family. I've seen that. that in groups a lot um, with women. Um, I had one last, last year that said, this has saved my marriage. And uh, in that situation, the husband wasn't actually the father of the baby that was aborted. But again, that I love the way you said it, Debbie, the, that, that, crack that fissure <laughs> of trust was broken and that once once uh she deals with that it just opens up a whole new um trust and relationship that, that wasn't there before and i love that yeah i wanted to add to that because i was thinking the same thing you know that's exactly what happened in my marriage i mean my husband wasn't a part of that abortion experience but i was unable to trust as a result, it's a lot of it had to do with that. And so I'm sure you've seen women heard their stories come through and talk about that 
um, struggle to trust in their marriage. And um, after getting abortion healing, there's a lot of healing that comes in the trust area as well. Yeah, absolutely. Because that lack of trust then permeates every single aspect of our relationship, whether it's um, did you do what I asked you to do or, or where were you for an extra 20 minutes, you know, you know, just every little thing. And even after we started going to church um, to, again, and the Lord started healing our relationship, it still, it took time for that trust foundation to be rebuilt and um, so I would just say, give ourselves grace and time yeah. to, and, and truly that trust has to come through the Lord. Yeah. We have to trust the Lord that he is in this relationship and that it's okay to trust him again. Yeah. So it's all funnels. It goes this way and then it goes up and down to the Lord and then horizontal in our relationships. And as a man, I was working then harder to do the things that I needed to do to gain trust, you know? And so I had to make a, a, a conscious effort to do that. Cause I knew that was the thing that was the wedge. That was the flag in her life that I needed to make sure that I was doing something to uh, rebuild that wall you know, rebuild that, that, that foundation. I mean, not the wall, but rebuild the foundation. And so I was working on it. And so and that's what I encourage you guys to do, you know, that you're not going to be perfect and they have to, your wife or the, the lady that you're working through this with, they have to realize that you're not perfect too and give you some slack. But so together it was a give and take and a back and forth. And, and I'm telling you really the honest God truth is it was as we both continue to seek God because it has to be him. And this is, we preach it. It has to be him. And then your family and then ministry and then work. You cannot get those things out of order because when you, if you're trying to have a godly home and a godly household, that's how it has to be. God has to be the head. Then your family, your wife and your kids, you have to take care of those things and extended people, but mostly the ones under your roof. And then your ministry. And if you're God really blesses you. Your ministry can be your work, but it doesn't always, isn't always that way. And so we, from that point on, we really tried to keep those things in order. And as we did, our relationship continued to heal. It continued to get better. Trust continued to grow until we got to the point where, you know what, man, we're loving Jesus now. And I'm, we're better now today than we've ever been 37 years into it. In Jesus mm -hmm. name. Beautiful. And, you know, Debbie, you said something a minute ago that, um, I think it was key to that whole conversation of trust. And that is putting God first. And Tim, you were saying it too, but there was something that you did on video. Cause like, I could see you, you were like doing this little column, like this vertical, you know, God first. And, um, if our trust is in God, and this is the piece that I know I struggle with as a woman, as a wife, you know, it doesn't matter if I've had, uh, uh, stuff in my past or not. I still struggle with God being the, the one and only you know, that can satisfy and sustain me because I see with my eyes. So it's the struggle that we have in the flesh every day, you know, and then when we've got wounds behind it, it's even, it increases that intensifies that, you know, that ability. But um, yes, we have to trust God first before, because our husbands are fallible. Isn't that what you said, Tim? It's not gonna right. be perfect. We're going to get it wrong. And right. yet it's still really hard. It's still, you know, it's part of the struggle of our lives. 
I think it's I one think of the beautiful to things. Know that, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I think for right. men to know that the the wife and the, the the woman in their life, their wife is, she is willing to see past some of those things because guys, we really get to a point where we think we got to get everything right, and then when we don't, we're we we beat ourselves up, and so we don't need someone else beating us up. That person who is that is the closest one to us beating us as well because we're already beating ourselves up that we let you down again so as a heal as a man and with his constant healing that's what he, we deal with you know is i want your respect but i want your love and i'm trying to do my best and if i do mess up and i come to you and ask for forgiveness and honestly working on that then we, that is when you have to work together you give that forgiveness and then you both grow and you're moving forward man and your relationship is becoming god more godly all the time and that was our we challenged each other we wanted to see who could be the first one to come and ask for forgiveness i don't want to hang on to that nonsense that we're dealing with lord have mercy that's crazy right so as paul writing to the church listen i need you to become mature in what you're learning and doing so we don't have to continue to give you spiritual milk right so as christians and as believers and as leaders we're trying to do our best and number one in my relationship with god and then number two in my relationship with her is to make sure that when i do make a mistake or sin that I make sure I get to that and take care of it as quick as I can. And as we were raising our kids, we did the same thing. We wanted to make sure that when I went off on them, that I made sure that I set them down and I apologized to them and I asked them to forgive me as dad, because that's not what I wanted to do. I never want to hurt them. And so and as we can, we got to start training men to do those things. Right. And it's, it's a, uh, that's where I'm at with what God's doing with, me in this ministry i just wanted to start encouraging men to talk about what's going on and because they do regret their lost fatherhood well and then that that asked that leads to my question that i want to ask you next how does healing for men differ from women men aren't more men aren't very likely to go on a retreat and sit around a table you know and bear their feelings um it's just hard for them to do that and not, I'm not saying that they sh shouldn't do it. They should. There should be a time for that. But for the most part, guys that don't know each other coming together, unless the Lord is really in it and moving those guys, it's a, it's a struggle to do that kind of a setting. Usually, from my experience of travel and mission trips and ministering to men and doing things, it's always been my uh, experience that even if I couldn't speak the same language as a guy, when I spent two or three days digging a ditch with him or putting up fence or building a block church in Guatemala in the jungle or doing something, that by the end of that week, we have had a, a, a relationship that's been built that when we're talking about now real issues, everyday life things that are happening right now today, and, and when I was able to just give them the word and what the word says about those things, because most of the time when you ask someone, do you believe the Bible is true? It's been my experience that 90% or more, they'll say, yeah. So now we have the foundation where we can go, and I don't have anything to tell you, but every situation that you're dealing with, let me show you what the word has to say about that. And for a man to be able to understand and realize that, wow, there is an authority in my life that is right, that I can turn to, 
and get what I know is right. And when you can get men to get to that point and believe that, now you can start building some strong men that believe that, you know what, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Those the scriptures become real. And so I believe that men just find their healing by being shoulder to shoulder and doing things together. And just that gives them the opportunity to have real conversations about things that men are dealing with right now, today. And that's what needs to happen. Because when we start dealing with the things that are happening today, guess what? That starts unlocking doors to allow the things that have happened in the past. And that could look different ways for different men. That yeah. could be fishing in a boat or hunting or hiking the Appalachian Trail. I don't know what it camping is. Camping out yeah. by a camp, uh, you know, sitting at a campfire, whatever that looks like. Uh, we we haven't figured that out necessarily for um, men in the abortion healing arena yet um, or as couples. Uh, we are still praying through that. What should this look like, Lord? Good. You mentioned you mentioned confessing to each other, which is obviously part of that healing that you did together as a couple. How about the grief component? I, I know every man is different, um, but are there any generalities of, of how men grieve or how did you do that as a couple from your different perspectives and the grieving? I mean, for me, I mean, I, I grieved when the abortion happened. My heart was broken. I was sad and and mourning. But then you immediately move past those things because you've got to get on with life like it's normal. You can't be allowing people to see you having an issue. And then they're going to ask questions, what's your issue, right? So then later, after I received my healing and get right with the Lord, my had my come to Jesus moment I was telling you about, then is when I really grieved because I realized and had to come to Jesus moment that, you know, I am the protector of life. That's my role as a man. And to not have the wherewithal in myself to stand up for the, the life that I created. I believe the lie I was so susceptible and so weak to believe that lie that I, I was beat for a while. I had to really work through that and realize that, you know what, that's no longer the man that I am. If I believe that I've turned around and Christ has given me another chance and I love Jesus, then that's not the man I am anymore. From now on, I will stand up for the things that I know that are right and that are just and are good, that are holy, those things that bring honor to the Lord. And so that's the things that I espouse now. And that's the way that I try to live my life. All the things I believed before that I sold out are still things that I believe now, but that I will fall on the sword. I'll, in Jesus' name, I will never do that again. I would say for me, the <clears throat> the grieving of the sin um, came through that encounter when I was weeping and weeping. I was grieving the sin that I had committed and um, received his forgiveness through that. Then as uh, as far as healing, uh, grieving the loss of our children because we did have the miscarriage um, at, after the abortion. For me, that came in a unique way. It, it First of all, it came through, uh, we were having Easter services at our church and it was e in the evening. There was no 
uh, it was every evening leading up to Easter and there was no sermon or anything. It was just quiet music playing and people could just come and spend time in the presence of the Lord, worship and pray. And there were large images on the screen of random um, landscape or people or you know, animals or whatever. It was just random pictures flashing on the screen. And I remember standing there worshiping the Lord and Tim was actually singing as far as the East is from the West. And as he was singing, I, I was just so moved by God that thank you for setting me free and healing me. And, and right then I opened my eyes and there on the screen was a picture of a, a father's hand, like the palm of a hand and a baby's hand resting in mm -hmm. that palm. And that so blessed me. I was like, thank you, God, for that's just another reminder of your goodness. And then when I closed my eyes, he showed me what I believe was Jesus sitting and he was holding two babies. And he spoke into my heart and said, this is Thomas and Abigail, and they are not mad at you. They're mm -hmm. here with me and they're safe. And so he named my babies for me. I had never been through an abortion healing. I didn't know I should name my babies. So Jesus did that for me. And that was around 2006. Amen. And um, what a beautiful treasure that is in my heart, an image I'll never forget. And, you know, he ministers to each of us differently. I've heard women talk about they've seen an image in their mind of their child as a teenager or as an adult. You know, it's just God is so unique and special to each one of us. And then as I started leading healing retreats in 2008 and have led so many in the last 15 years, it's just continues that um the the layers just continue to peel off in that grieving process and in the healing. And as a man, when your wife comes home and tells you that, listen, the Lord has been so good to me that tonight he named our babies, that that helps me heal, right? Mm -hmm. Seeing her mm -hmm. continue to heal helps me heal, right? And so that's another thing to encourage men that, listen, receive that healing as your wife receives her healing. I confess that for myself. I receive that for myself in Jesus' name. That's beautiful. I love that picture. I love that you had that. That picture was up on the screen with a, um, uh, was it? Did you say it was God's hand with a child's it, hand? It was a man's hand. A man's hand with, with a child's a child. hand. In. It was an actual photo. Yeah. Of okay. A man's hand with a child's hand in it. That's mm -hmm. a beautiful picture. Just, I don't know what it made you think of or what you saw in that moment besides the picture, but what it made me think of is that, um, God has your hand in his, that's what I was thinking of when, when you shared that, that's sweet. Yes. Um, the thing oh, I thought when I saw it was that my baby's hand was, is in his hand. Oh, that's precious. That was before then he showed me the picture yeah. in my mind. So that's precious. I want to switch gears just for a minute. Um, yeah, before we close out our time here, and I just want to talk about your, your leading Surrendering the Secret now, and you're uh, doing retreats. And I want to just ask you to just share with us, and Linda and I were sort of talking about this. This is um, a surprise question for you, but you should have no problem with it. Um, we all lead differently. We have different focuses when we lead women through those groups. And Linda and I kind of found out um, through 
the course of our talking that we kind of have a same focus and ours is sort of towards um, using the, the healing group to, to allow the women to get healed, but also as a discipleship opportunity. And so we're really focused on that aspect. I don't think one facilitating style is better than another, but I'd really like for you to talk about what is your focus when you're taking the women through, do you have a multi-focus or is it singular focus? You know, I, I would say I agree with what you're saying with the discipleship. My, my focus is that they would experience God in a deeper way because that is something that will carry them the rest of their lives. It's, it's about them. Just like me, when I was at that encounter, I experienced the power of God in my life and I've never been the same since. And so my, my goal, my mission, I believe the Lord has led me to is to prepare an atmosphere of his presence in these retreats so that they, that a, a lot of the obstacles are removed so that they can experience the power of God themselves mm-hmm. and experience that transformation. And what has happened, what I've seen happen is not only is the abortion addressed, but other things in their lives have been addressed. One gal was living a homosexual lifestyle at the time of her um, retreat. And the Lord led her during the retreat, like, no, this is not the lifestyle I have for you. And she's not lived that lifestyle since then. It's been almost two years. And so that's really, uh, and when I say discipleship, because it's about their relationship with the Lord, I want them to go deeper in that relationship with the Lord and, and continue their healing journey. It's not a one and done. That's another thing I really emphasize this Mm -hmm. ongoing. Mm -hmm. This is about you growing and maturing in your relationship with the Lord, allowing him to get this huge, big abortion obstacle, the weight and heaviness and the shame off of you so that you can soar in your destiny, in the calling and the purpose that God has on your life. Yeah, that's beautifully said. So when you're leading these retreats, your, your focus is um, on creating um, just a environment where there's a presence of the Lord with the ladies and, and you're focusing on discipleship so that they can go deeper. Can you give me an example of what that looks like? Are you, um, are you opening at the book? How are you leading them through the material and through the book and just kind of to incorporate those things into just to give an example? Sure. I love it. Um, it starts with the facilitators. Our hearts have to be right in line with the Lord. And so I always have a co-facilitator and we pray together and we worship together. We arrive early before the ladies do several hours to get things set up. And then we worship through the house. We're praying through the house. We anoint the house with oil. We lay our hands on their beds. We walk through the entire place and, and just bringing the presence of God into that place. So as soon as they walk in the door, they feel the presence of God. That's what I mean by creating that atmosphere. And then um, we start out with worship before we do anything else. 
we have an extended time of worship to kind of just shed off mm. the, the week, you know, how the enemy has pummeled them leading up to that moment um, to just let go of all of that stuff. And we have a, a prayer of release that we pray together. We pray it out loud together several times throughout. And it's really a prayer of letting go. God, I give you permission to do in me what you want to do in me. And that's what I encourage the ladies to pray leading up to the retreat. Give the Lord permission. God, I give you permission to do whatever you want to do in me. Like, I'm not going to come with an agenda, like a list. I'm going to let God do what he wants. And then throughout the retreat, the way we lead our retreats is the ladies will go into their private space whether that's their bedroom or outside somewhere or a little nook area to they'll have about two hours to complete their lesson all by themselves it's just them and god and then we come back together as a group to discuss that then we'll have a meal and then we'll do the same thing again so they're getting a lot of quality time alone with God. No phone, no computer. It's just the word, their study guide, and the Holy Spirit ministering to them. Because I'm a firm believer, yes, breakthroughs happen during discussion, but what we pray and believe is the breakthroughs are going to happen when they're in God's word. Amen. When they're sitting there studying and the Holy Spirit's ministering to them, we've seen it time and again. It's not about us. We're just facilitating what Holy Spirit wants to do. And we don't take credit for it. We we just, we trust him during those quiet times to do the deep work that needs done. Cause he knows what that is anyway. And we've seen it time and time again, that when people are reading the word, the living word out of their own Bible, they're reading that and it becomes real to them. There's a transformation that happens that you cannot, you can't dissuade that because you know what's happened to you. You know what you felt. You know what you believe now. You know how your life has been trained. So change. So people can say whatever they want. It's okay. You know what has happened because you've been touched by a living God who comes and cares for you. So that's the key, man, is the word. And when they read it for themselves out of their own Bible that may have been sitting on the shelf for years, and now all of a sudden they open it and they're reading what the Lord actually has to say about them. Them, not what they've heard someone else say the Lord said about them, but yes. actually what the Lord is telling them through their own word. It's miraculous is all that can be said about it. And, and got to give God all the glory for sure. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Guys, thank you for giving us your time today. This has been a joy and I'm so glad I got to spend more time with you, Debbie, getting to know you a little bit more and hearing your story and, uh, Kim, thank you for sharing your story and your vulnerabilities to us and um, all the wonderful nuggets that you guys shared with us. So we've had a great time. Well, you're welcome. It's been our honor. And Amen. anytime we can come back, we would love to, because like we told you, we could talk for hours. <laughs> we have we just scraped the, the surface on all the God stories in our lives. And we just are thankful for this opportunity to both of you. There's just so many Absolutely. I still have so many questions. 
<laughs> yeah, as, as far as the men go, too, you know, we could definitely do a whole other section on that, because I think that's something that for years we've been really trying to get a handle on is, is we know the men are there and they need healing and, and how to approach that. So, um, Tim, thank you for your input on that. And Debbie, it's been great. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you. Keep up the good work. We'll stay together. and We'll keep battling for the Lord. <laughs>